Well, good morning to you all. I trust you are finding it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning on this holiday weekend. I should say those things like end of summer, make everybody sad. Going back to school, make the young ones sad. Maybe they like going back to school, I don't know. I didn't usually like going back to school. I think Jennifer liked going back to school. Didn't do much for me, but you know. I, uh, I've, I've spoken a few times, and so some of you may know that I kind of like the Old Testament. <clears throat> I'm an Old Testament kind of guy. The, um, the, um, I find this, these incredible, unbelievable, amazing stories that, not that there aren't any in the New Testament, but in, in the Old Testament, there's some really crazy stuff that goes on uh, in terms of uh, miracles and the things like that. And, and I do like, I like the book of Kings. There's some amazing stuff that goes on in there. Uh, the book of First Kings uh, starts out with, I didn't really mean for that to appear. Let's make it disappear for now. There we go. Um, the book of, of, of First Kings starts out with the transition from King David to King Solomon. And then there's several chapters where it talks about a, a number of the kings of Judah and Israel as it goes on. And then we get to, to chapter 17 of First Kings, and I think this might be the first place uh, that Elijah shows up, and it starts out with, now Elijah the Tishbite, and some other unpronounceable things, uh, speaks to Ahab and says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Neither dew nor rain, except at my word in the next few years. Farmers here are starting to quake and worry, like <laughs> don't let Elijah show up in, in Three Hills or Nehill County, that'd be bad. Uh, and, then, and then it goes on in, in chapter 17, and there's some crazy things that happen. Uh, because the word, of, the word of God comes to Elijah and uh, tells him to go someplace, and because you know there's no rain or whatever else, and, and food is scarce, God says, Elijah, go, go hang out by the stream and the ravens will feed you. Well, we have two cats and one of our cats in particular is a bit of a hunter and goes out at night and then we go out in the morning and it's left things behind that it's hunted and you know, it's supposed to get rid of the mice or whatever else that the, the cat has collected. And then I noticed the other day when I went out, it had been there and then I had to, and I'd come back and it was gone. And I figure it's these, I don't know what it is, it's not ravens or something, but there's some birds that hang around. I think they come and take this stuff. And I'm thinking, if a raven's bringing me meat, gosh, I hope it doesn't bring the kind of meat that's left behind when my cat is done, and, and bread. And I'm like, I'm not sure I'm that convinced about being fed by ravens, but, and, and you know, they usually take stuff rather than bring it. So I thought, well, that, that was quite something. And then it goes on a bit further. It says, sometime later, the brook dried up. Things are going from bad to worse, not only being fed by ravens, but now the water's gone. Uh, and, and Elijah ends up at this place called Zarephath. Uh, and some interesting story that goes on there. Uh, and he shows up there and there's this lady out there and she's gathering firewood and he says, hey, can I have some water? And oh, by the way, can you bring me a sandwich? It's not exactly what it says, but can you bring me a sandwich? And she says, well, I'd love to, but I'm, I'm you know, collecting sticks here so I can go home and make a fire because I've got just enough flour and oil left to make one little thing of bread, and, and my son and I will eat that, and then we will lay down and die. I thought, well, that's, that's pretty grim, isn't it? And, and Elijah says, no, just, just do it, it'll be fine. 
Uh, when I was a little kid, we had this story uh, that I read called the magic porridge pot. I guess in, in Canada, we call it the magic oatmeal pot, maybe, I don't know. Uh, I'd never wanted the magic oatmeal pot because I'm not a big oatmeal fan, but the story was that the porridge pot just never ended. And, and it, it's like, I don't know if it's from the Bible, but the widow of Zarephath and Elijah, the jar of, of flour and the jar of oil, they never ran out. They just kept being there to make bread every day. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, and then not only that, it goes on. And then after a while later on then, uh, the woman's son gets very ill and dies. And then through Elijah, God raises him from the dead. So in chapter 17, we've had this amazing thing where the ravens are feeding him and then the, the oil and the flour that never disappear and then somebody coming back to life. Uh, and then we get to uh, chapter 18, and chapter 18 is where stuff, if it hasn't been crazy already, gets really crazy, because this is the story, if you've been in, in, uh, in the church for a while, and if you've read the Bible, this is the story of Mount Carmel, and Elijah challenging the prophets of Baal, Baal, however you say that, um, and uh, and, you know, they're supposed to, you know, like if God is God, he'll bring rain, whatever. And he says to the prophets of Baal, well, why don't you make it happen? Uh, and so the 400 prophets of Baal do their thing. They dance around all day and they do what the prophets of Baal do, cut themselves and yell. And Elijah makes a bit of fun of them as they go on. And eventually it doesn't work. Uh, and then Elijah says, okay, it's my turn. Uh, my God will show you who God is. And he builds an altar, and he puts foot on it, and he, he sets the sacrifice on top. And then he says, and bring some water, and let's put water on it. Now, now we kind of like to go camping. We don't go camping as much as we can. Uh, and, and I've sort of figured out how to do fires. There's a few family stories about how Richard made the fire go. But if you've ever tried to make a fire with wet wood, gosh, it's frustrating. It usually doesn't go. If it goes, it pretends it's going to go, a lot of smoke, and then it dies and nothing happens. So Elijah says, pour some water on. No, that's not enough. Pour some more on. No, that's not enough. Pour some more on until it's like literally soaked and there's water and there's a flood and it's horrible. And then he prays to God. He says, if you're God, send fire. He doesn't even strike a match. And God sends down fire from heaven. Now, God never does things by half. He doesn't just light the thing and have a nice little fire for roasting your marshmallows. The Bible says that it, 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 it consumed the sacrifice, it consumed the wood, it licked up all the water, and it cooked the stones. Now, I don't know what temperature it needs to cook stones, but I, that's pretty hot. So this is what all goes on in, in, uh, in the chapter there, and at the end, uh, I think they end up killing the prophets of Baal. Now, just as an aside, this, this god that they were worshiping, Baal, is not a very nice God. Now remember, right, it's not really a God. Uh, it's who they thought was God. But not a very nice God. A Canaanite Phoenician God of fertility and rain. I guess that's why they were kind of hoping that you know, the God would bring rain. Um, but by the by, associated with demons, the devil, and child sacrifice. Keep that in mind. This is who the people at that time were choosing to worship as their God, somebody that apparently demanded the sacrifice of their children. I'm not gonna be looking for that guy because he wants to take my kids, no, I don't think so. This is what's going on. And so 
Uh, then Elijah goes and he prays to God and rain comes on the land. This is like after three years. There's been like three years of drought, nothing. All this stuff has gone on in two chapters. These are all these amazing stories. Uh, and the rain comes. And then we get to chapter 19. And the start of chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab, who was the king, told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. So just stay with me for a second. So in the last three years, Elijah has seen God have birds feed him, which is quite amazing in itself. He has seen the flour and the oil never run out. He has been used to bring somebody back from the dead. He has then shown up Baal and the 400 prophets to be nothing but fakes. He has then been witness and party to God sending fire from heaven to burn up rocks. He has then had the power and the strength to deal with the 400 prophets of Baal, apparently put them to death. And then Jezebel, the queen, sends a message, says, you're done. I'm going to get you by this time tomorrow. And this is what Elijah says. If I can make it go to the right spot. There we go. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. You can sort of understand that, right? Uh, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had... Enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. That's what it says in verse 3 and 4. I'm like, as I read this, I can sort of, you know, I'm like, Elijah, you saw a lot of stuff, man. Like, you saw God show up in miraculous ways. And when this lady says, I'm going to kill you, you're kind of like, hmm. The chapter goes on a little bit. And then in a few verses later, in verse 10, God speaks to Elijah, and he's been on the run for 40 days. Between sort of verse 3, 4, and verse 10, I think Elijah's been on the run for 40 days. And God says to him, what's going on? And he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Now, the Bible doesn't say it this way, but we all read the Bible with our own experience. And we see it in light of what we're currently going through. And that's how God speaks to us as we read the Bible. And so as I read this, this, this is what I picture is going on. Elijah saying, God, I don't understand. Nothing makes sense to me anymore. For the last three years, you performed miraculous things. You kept me alive with ravens feeding me. You kept me alive with the, the widow feeding me from the flour and the oil that never ran out. You brought somebody back to life. You sent fire from heaven. You withheld rain for three years, and then you made it rain like nobody's business. And now they're trying to kill me, and I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense, God. Why is it that if you showed up for the last three years in such power and such strength, why is it right now that I'm on the run for my life? I don't get it. I don't understand. What are you doing? This world is so messed up, I can't figure it out anymore. Now I guess you know where I'm at. 
because I'm not sure that's actually what Elijah said or felt, but that's how I see it when I read into it. That's what I would have possibly said. And I guess my question is, do you ever feel that way as well? So you've heard me talk before about, you know, I have, we have three kids and my little granddaughter Molly got to talk to Molly yesterday. It's always good when we get to talk to Molly. But we've got to figure it out now because now our daughter and her husband are expecting our, our second grandchild. And that's very exciting as well. For those of you who are grandparents, you know it's very exciting. And so we talk to our daughter Samantha a lot. As she drives back and forth to work, she, she has to multitask, so she always calls us, which is good. We like talking to her. And just in the midst of talking about things, she expressed that she's a bit concerned about bringing a new child into this world, into the craziness of this world. She lives in southern Ontario, the extension of the greater Toronto, which has its own particular culture of things as you well. And, and she expressed some concern, and, I, and I, I'm with her a little bit, right? You know, I see some of the stuff that's going on in the world. Um, I read some of the, the news of things that are going on across our country. And, and as I see it, I see, you know, parental rights, responsibilities, roles are being eroded. Stuff's being taken away. And, and here's my daughter and son-in-law going to become parents. And I'm like, our country is trying to let them not do the things that God has mandated them to do as I to see it. I, I also see that if, if I don't agree with what is a particularly correct, a politically correct stance on a wide range of issues, then I'm the one that's intolerant. And, and that doesn't, it, it makes a mess with my head. I'm speaking to you from me now, you don't have to agree with this, but, but it makes a mess with my head because if you're calling me intolerant, doesn't that make you intolerant? And, and my day job is, is I, you know, I'm a pilot and, and it's based on rationality. If there's not enough gas in the tank, the airplane doesn't fly. If the airplane's too heavy, it doesn't fly. If the airplane goes too slow, it doesn't fly. The rules are clear, it's very rational, this is what it is. And when the world seems to me to become irrational, my head starts to explode and, and, and I struggle. I see that the, the use of drugs is rampant and, and on the one hand we're saying drugs are bad for you and the, on the other hand we, we make some legal and, and I know there's a whole mess of things in there and I can't get my head around that. And it's just a crazy world. I, I read this week that, that some young ladies in, I don't know, Ottawa or something, somebody got stabbed, they were fighting over McDonald's dipping sauce or something. The world is crazy, it's insane. And it messes with me. People can't afford rent, they can't, afford, they can't even find a place to live even if they could afford rent. The housing thing is a problem. We have fires, we have floods, we have wars. The world is just like, wow, it's nuts. And yet it seems that it's always been this way. I mean, it's, it's always been this way. My mom and dad were born in 1935 and 1936 in, in England. 1935 and 1936, Europe was starting to become insane as if it hadn't been before. It was really kind of a crazy place to be. By 1939, the world was at war. My parents were like three years old. And, and it went on that way. My dad, you, you think it's crazy. My dad remembers the story of how an enemy fighter came flying down the main street and shot up the fish and chip shop. Nobody's laughing. That's, I mean, that's crazy. That's not the kind of stuff that you're supposed to remember from your childhood. Somebody screaming down and shooting up, you know, the Harvest House pizza. That's no good. The world's a crazy place. And then I go, 
but I don't really care about that. I don't care about what happened in 1940, 1959. I find myself in turmoil now. I find myself fearful for my grandkids now in what sort of world it is they're going to come into and live up. I feel that Canada has rejected your covenant God, torn down your altars God, and put your prophets to death with their words. Here in Canada today, not back when Elijah was. But then, God speaks. And the Lord said to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Now I can hear some of you right now, and some of you are thinking right now, you're saying, the Lord was not in the wind. Well, you've just told me that there's wind around in life, in our society, in our world today, and God's not in it, God's not here, is that what you're saying? And you're saying that there was an earthquake, and there's literal and figurative earthquakes going on in our world today, and they're shaking the ground underneath my feet, and you're saying God's not there? And then after the earthquake came a fire, and there's literal and, and figurative fires in our lives, but the Lord's not there either? That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that God comes in the gentle whisper because God brings peace. It's not that God isn't present when there's wind. It's not that God isn't present when there's earthquakes. It's not that God isn't present when there's fires, but God doesn't bring them because God is a God of peace. God is in the still, small voice. And while Elijah was feeling the uncertainty and the destruction and the fear of the wind and the quake and the fire, God is saying, I am peace. I am peace. The thing I love about the Bible is it's just, it's just I, you know, you, you could preach for, for a week without stopping because everything leads to the next thing, leads to the next thing, leads to the next thing. In the New Testament, there are 27 we call books, right? There's 27 parts of the New Testament. It starts with what we refer to as the Gospels, the story of Jesus' time on earth, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Continues into the book of Acts, uh, where it talks about those immediate after period, uh, after Jesus uh, left the earth and went back up to heaven. So those first four or five books are sort of historical, if you want. The next 22 talk a lot about how Christianity, how our belief in Jesus plays out in reality. Uh, a lot of those were written by the Apostle Paul, but here's what I want you to understand. Of those 22, 18 of them, 18 of those 22 begin with a greeting, something like grace and peace to you. And another one concludes with it. So 19 out of the 22 at the very beginning or at the very end say to us, grace and peace to you. Now I spent a lot of years 
teaching people to fly too. And what we tell people is, you know, what you tell them the first and what you tell them the last are what they will remember the longest, particularly what you tell them first, because then they tend to nod off. So what they tell you first is what they will remember the longest. And one of the first things that is said in 18 of the 22 New Testament letters are grace and peace to you. That's how important God sees this and how much he understands that it's easy for us to not be at peace in worlds that are crazy. Mark chapter four is another great story. Chapter four begins with uh, Jesus teaching. Uh, and he, it's, there's so many people that he kind of gets into a boat and he preaches from a boat on the lake. Uh, and then the day ends. Uh, and Jesus says to his disciples, that day when evening came, he said to the disciples, let us go over to the other side. So leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. I mean, I, I like being in boats and I like swimming, but that, that kind of freaks me out a little bit. Um, there's all sorts of things that the, the thought of drowning is not filming with, ooh, that's a great way to go. Um, and Jesus was in the stern, in the back of the boat, sleeping. On, he was sleeping while the boat was about to be swamped. And the disciples woke to him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? They're like, Jesus, the world around me is in turmoil. It's crazy out there. We're about to be swamped. We're about to be overtaken by everything that's going on around us. Don't you care? You're just sleeping. And Jesus got up, he rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. There's some other translations where it says, peace, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And I love this. He says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, peace be still, is what it says. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. See, Jesus is there in the wind and the waves and the fire and the earthquakes. And he says, peace be still. And there is a great calm. If we hear Jesus say, peace, be still, there can still be a great calm. The disciples were still in the boat. I don't know if it was one of those miraculous things where it was instantly calm, or if it did that thing that water does and it slowed down. But Jesus says, peace. And he says to them, don't you get it? Don't you get it? I am here. I am here, in the midst of everything that's going on, I am here, peace, be still. I Googled peace, you know, you go to Google, hey Google, what does peace mean? And it starts out with things like absence of war, absence of conflict, tranquility, and then it popped up this one. Peace is knowing that the Lord of the universe is by your side and resting in that. 
yes, God, I know that you are God of peace, yes, yes, but, no, it says, knowing and resting in it. It's not just knowing, but also living it out. Peace is sitting in comfort and knowing that God is next to your side no matter what. Peace isn't the absence of fire and wind and quake. It doesn't mean those things disappear. It just means that we know that God is there no matter what and that he is in control. Uh, it, it's interesting, we have, uh, Jennifer has, uh, my wife has um, four siblings, uh, so three sisters and a brother, and they live all on the other side of the country in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. Uh, I have an older sister, she lives in New Brunswick. Uh, I have an older brother, he lives in Quebec, and, and I have another sister, uh, the one closest to me, I'm the baby, um, and, and she lives in southern Ontario with her husband, Mark, uh, and they're living there in uh, Stratford, Ontario, and they're, um, they're planting a church there in Stratford, Ontario. And so we don't see them very much, that's why I tell you, because they're like, thousands of miles away, uh, so we don't see them very much. But, but a couple weeks back, my sister Helen and her husband Mark were out in this part of the world. They were attending a church conference, uh, and they stayed a few days after the conference. My sister has never seen this part of the country, so uh, they decided they should stay and you know, go see all the iconic things, uh, you know, Lake Louise and Banff and, and the hoodoos of Drumheller. We took them to Drumheller. They thought that was amazing. And we went floating down the Bow River on a raft and we had a good time. Lots of time to chat a little bit. We crammed a lot into about the day and a half that we had. And of course, because this is where my mind has been the last little bit, this stuff sort of came up and we got talking about these things. And it was interesting uh, because at this conference, uh, one of the speakers had spoken on something very similar to this. Uh, and and the, the end of it, and these weren't the exact words that he used, was basically this. Keep calm, be still. In the midst of all of this, God is here. Just carry on, keep following him. God is in control. This is what God has, he is here. Uh, th this for a while was a thing. You could buy all sorts of things with this uh, and they'd change the first words and the last words, you know, and they'd, they'd say, keep calm and carry on knitting and all sorts of funny things that were going on with this. This, this actually is a thing that dates back to World War II. Uh, it was a government incentive uh, in England, uh, a thing that they did. It wasn't huge at the time, it was probably bigger, you know, a couple years back when they were selling things that wasn't England at the time. But, but this was a thing from the government. And, and if you're familiar with your history, if you have relatives from over there, that, that 1940 time-ish in England and, and following on for that was pretty bad. Uh, you know, the blitz was taking place. Uh, people were regularly spending their evenings sleeping in the subway because bombs were falling on the cities. Uh, I grew up in the, in the middle of, of England in my younger years near a place called Coventry. Uh, and there's a famous cathedral in Coventry, uh, a, a, a one that has been built beside the old one. The old one still stands, um, but there's nothing but the walls because it was bombed out during the war. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on. There was a lot of rationing going on. When I was a kid growing up, this will probably gross you right out. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, one of the things we used to have for breakfast was fried bread. And you're like... Are you serious? Oh yeah, you cook the bacon and you keep the grease and then you put the bread in it and you fry it. Mm -mm -mm. And I'm like, these days, mm, not so much. But that came from my parents because during the war, one of the things that they had to eat, that was it. 
you put the stuff left over, the fat left over from whatever meat you could get from your ration, and you spread it on, and that was dinner. And so there's a lot of stuff during that time that worked against keeping calm. And so the government put this thing out, just keep calm, carrying on. And this is what God says in Psalm chapter 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. It continues on. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. And then through to verse 10, he says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. In the midst of all the craziness, be still and know that I am God. In Philippians chapter four, see it's everywhere in the Bible. I I looked at the word peace in the Bible and there's so many verses to choose from. Philippians chapter four, verse six, do not be anxious about everything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do not be anxious about anything. Let the peace of God transcend. Uh, this, this word anxious is, a, is an interesting one. I, I, I'm probably gonna offend some of the people who know the clinical definitions of things like this, but anxious. Experiencing worry, unease, or nervousness, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Worrying about something with an uncertain outcome. I probably wouldn't put my current feelings about what's going on in the world as anxious. I'd probably more say it makes me mad. Um, But, you know, maybe that's just another way of saying anxious. Maybe I'm covering it up. Do not be anxious, do not be upset, do not be angry. Let the peace of God dwell in you. Because here's the thing, the outcome is not uncertain. The outcome is absolutely and 100% certain because God is God. And at some point, God will take away the wind and the storm and the fire and the quakes and the peace of God will be all that remains. But here's the thing, we can have the peace of God right now. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. See, here's the thing. One hates to continue to talk about that thing that we had a few years back, the COVID thing. But in our house, we actually got rid of television because watching the news was making me anxious. It was making me mad. It was making me angry. What this says to us is says, don't dwell on those things. Don't dwell on the fire and the quake and the storm and whatever else. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Dwell on the good things. Look at what Jesus has done and believe he will do it in the future. For Elijah, perhaps, I mean, Elijah was amazing, so just take this with a grain of salt, but 
perhaps if Elijah had looked backwards and instead of saying, Jezebel's trying to kill me, if he perhaps would have looked back and said, God fed me with the ravens. God fed me through the widow. God raised the child to the dead through, through, through me. God brought fire down and consumed. If he looked back at the things that had happened and then looked at where he was right now and said, that was pretty bad then. Yes, Jezebel's trying to kill me, but look what God did then. If he dwelled on those things, perhaps he would have had more peace in his heart. Now to a sense, that's pretty easy to say, right? It's pretty easy to say. And this takes a decision. This takes an act. This takes a choice. I was just talking with Pastor Wayne this morning at the start before, uh, you know, something unrelated to this, but we were, he, he was mentioning to me about, you know, we've got to be plugged into the vine. This, this isn't something that happens by accident. This is a choice that we make, that we will choose to turn our eyes away from the, those crazy things that are starting to make us anxious or upset or whatever else, and we'll switch and we'll turn towards and as we invest in, and as we read about, and as we spend time with the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, the peace of God that we don't understand. God, I should not be feeling peace in these times, and yet I am, because the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds. We don't want to dwell on those things that make us anxious. Look, because God is in the still, small voice. That's where he is. Uh, one more story just as we close. So in, in my former life, Jennifer and I, we had the privilege of, you know, of spending some time in the country of Papua New Guinea where I, I flew airplanes. Uh, and I, during our, our time there, I, I landed in 300 different places, something like that, in the jungle on the side of the mountains, uh, all sorts of crazy places, great fun. And, and I remember very, some I remember very clearly and some I remember not so clearly, but one I remember very clearly, uh, we were landing at an airstrip called Aro. And Aro is not a particularly difficult place to land. It's basically flat. There aren't any significant mountains around, but it is very close to a river. By very close, I mean it's right beside the river. And, and so as the, the rivers go up and down a little bit, the airstrip tends to be a little wetter than the sun. It just tends to be that way. And that means it could potentially be a little bit slippery as we go. Uh, and the airplane I was flying uh, was fairly big for landing in that context. It takes 19 passengers, has two engines, and, and there's two pilots in it. Uh, and that particular day, I was operating as the co-pilot. I was in, in the right seat. I was the first officer. And, and my friend Volker uh, was in the left seat as the captain. Now, Volker had been flying in, in New Guinea a little bit longer than I had, but, but I'd been flying the Twin Otter significantly more than he had. I was an instructor on the airplane. Uh, but that particular day, I was, just, I was just flying. I wasn't teaching anything, but I was in the right seat. And he was in the left seat. And I was what we call the pilot flying for the landing at Arrow. I was the one actually doing the piloty thing. Uh, and, and no reason to suspect it was going to be anything more than the usual level of excitement. And we landed, and, and it was all good, and then the airplane started to rotate. And it started to turn, uh, and I'm pilot flying. Now, he's captain, so he's actually responsible, but I'm driving the thing. 
Uh, and and in often, uh, oftentimes, the person as the captain has more experience than the person in the other seat. But this particular case, that was a bit backwards, but he was still captain. And so he had a decision to make. And his decision was, as the captain, do I take over this landing, which is starting to go wrong because the airplane's spinning around, it's rotating, uh, or do I look at Richard and quickly assess, well, he's flown this airplane a very long time from both sides and he knows the airplane and he probably can do it as well, if not better than I can. And he had that decision to make. And time slows down in those circumstances and the airplane is turning around on the runway and it ended up going backwards down the runway by the time it was done. But I remember very distinctly Volker, as time slowed down and I'm trying to do the piloty thing, he looks over at me and he says to me, have you got this? And his question was, the world is spinning. The world is out of control. I'm looking at you and assuming that you can do at least as good a job as I can. This is what Volker's thinking as he does that to me. And he's like, I just need a little bit of confidence from you. I need a little bit of something from you, Richard, that as the world is spinning, you tell me that you've got this. And I said to him, I got this. And it was cool, it was like a movie stunt. The airplane spun around and it went backwards and then we stopped right at the spot that we normally park in. It was like those things you see in stunt movies with the car where the guy spins into the parking lot. It was just like that. <laughs> but as the world was spinning, Volker said to me, have you got this? And as the world that we're living in is spinning around, I encourage you, keep calm, carry on because God has got this. We may not understand why the things are going on. The things that are going on may freak us out, scare us, and may make us anxious, but the God who created it all, the God who will finish it all, the God who in the end will be victorious, the God who in the end will bring his kingdom has got this. Focus on him and let his peace dwell in you. In, uh, in many churches, they finish their time together with a benediction. And so we won't finish our time with a song. We won't finish our time with a prayer. We will finish it with the word of God. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse 16. And now, today, this week, as you leave this building, now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. The Lord, the God of peace, be with you all as you go this week. Blessings on you. Thank you for being here. Have a great week. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.